Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. I'm alongside, as usual, my dad, Chris Baker. And this is what we have on the menu for you guys today. We'll talk about Bo Bichette's ridiculous start. We'll talk about how the team is now in the hands of the young guns. We'll talk about the Boston Red Sox struggles. We'll do a segment of Relevance Zero, which we didn't get, we didn't get the chance to do in last week's trade deadline special, which uh, we were upset about, but it was a packed episode of a shorter one this week. Uh, we'll talk about the Yankees' rotation struggles. We'll talk about our, we'll give you our way too early World Series picks, and we'll talk a little bit about the Blue Jays' offense that has been quite good lately. Chris, how are you today? I'm good, Dylan. How are you? I am phenomenal. So let's get right into things. And Bo Bichette's ridiculous start is probably the main topic of conversation from really the entire MLB from the last week. Of course, actually, it was Mike Trout's birthday yesterday, so that's that's a big day in the MLB. But uh, Bo Bichette has been the biggest bright spot since the trade deadline. And uh, he's setting major league records already and is tearing the cover off the ball. I saw Sid Sixero of Tim and Sid tweet the day of the deadline saying that Bo Bichette was indeed the biggest acquisition from the trade deadline. And he isn't wrong. While Bichette didn't come over in a trade, he was called up right by the deadline. And he has been raking ever since. Saying that Bichette has been phenomenal might just be an understatement. So what have you been most impressed with in his game? Well, everything. I mean, everything. I mean, his defense, you know, I mean, he's had some struggles there, but it's just likely nerves as he gets started in his, uh, his major league career. But I think that, the, you know, I mean, the offense and the results uh, definitely outweigh anything that he's doing defensively that could be improved. So, you know, I mean, he said, as you said, he's setting major league records and he is absolutely the biggest acquisition of the trade deadline and arguably the biggest acquisition of the trade deadline among any team in major league baseball. And I feel very comfortable saying that since the blue Jays are seven and 10 with Bo Bichette. Sorry. There are seven, seven, seven of their last 10. 10 sorry. Yeah. Uh, with, with Bo Bichette. And that is, uh, no, he's not winning it on his own, but what he's done is he's injected fire in the other two and you know Bichette Biggio and Guerrero have been phenomenal I mean they've just absolutely destroyed the cover off the baseball and even the pitching has been a little bit uh has been a little bit improved over the last little while obviously in order to get to a point where you win seven of ten um very very impressive road trip I mean you know there were some slouch teams in that road trip but Tampa Bay certainly is not a slouch team and they still took two out of three so uh Bo's really injected a lot into this team and to see major league all-time records being set by this kid in just a short period of time uh Blue Jays fans should be extremely excited yeah for sure and you know what Bo has come in and he has been aggressive. He's injected a fire into these guys. As you mentioned, he is jumping on the first pitch of his leadoff at-bats, and good on Charlie Montoyo. We talked about it last week. Good on Charlie Montoyo, putting him in that leadoff spot. It has been a phenomenal move so far. He has played every game since getting called up, and every game but the first one has been in that leadoff spot. He's been great. If he doesn't get a hit in his first at-bat, which he usually does, and if he doesn't do that, then he gets it in the second or third. He's always got a hit, seemingly. He's been, he's been a great sight to see for the Blue Jays uh, ever since he's been called up. The one thing to work on, obviously, is the defense. But like you mentioned, he might just be nervous. It's his first time in, on such a big stage. Uh, he's at the big league level, right? But the defense certainly does need to improve. I mean, he, is, uh, he has struggled there four errors in nine games. That's not something you want to see, especially out of a shortstop who is the captain of your infield. But I think it can get better. And you know what? 
at the trade deadline, I think that one of our better pieces, pieces was Freddie Galvis, but we didn't trade him. And maybe one of the reasons for that was to help was because Freddie can help Bo Bichette with his shortstop defense because Freddie is a wizard over there. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that's an opportunity for uh, for him to help uh, Bichette. But I, you know, I worry a little bit about Freddie's own mindset in this uh, remaining piece to the season, in in that he's just not going to get the same amount of starts that he's used to. Uh, but you're right; I think the leadership role is definitely one that he'll have to take, and certainly to work with Bichette on defense. And the, everybody's going to work with Bichette on defense. And the reality is, we saw some great defense from Bichette throughout spring training. Uh, he's had good defense in his minor league career, so it's it. There's nothing to say that this kind of um, this kind of number of miscues is is a regular thing that we're going to see from him. I don't think that is something that we'll see from him on a regular basis. So, um, you know, it's not where you want to be, as you said. But uh, you know, that's I didn't even realize that four errors in just nine games. That um, or ten now, I believe. But uh, no, it's nine. You know. So. I'm pretty sure he's on a 10-game hit streak. Uh, but baseball reference is telling me he's only played nine games. Oh, no, he's only played nine games. Yeah. No, that's not up to date then because he's got a 10-game hit streak. He got it yesterday. So, um, but either way, I mean, the defense the defense will improve for him. It, it, it'll improve for sure. And and I think we can expect uh, even Biggio's too. You know, we've seen kind of the same thing from Biggio. Uh, have we not, well, we haven't seen the same number of errors, but we've seen a lot of plays not made, which don't get counted in the stats. And, and, uh, and so I think we'll see that improve as well. Uh, Wilder said on the radio broadcast uh, yesterday that, you know, the Blue Jays will certainly take a long look at Biggio uh, throughout the rest of the season at second base. But, uh, but again, it's still up in the air, according to his thoughts anyway, as to whether second base is that permanent spot for him. But I think, again, both will see improvement as they work together as a double play combo, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see that defense improve. Yeah, quickly. and you talked about spring training. Um, I think that the, I forgot about spring training. He showed really good defense in the spring for the Blue Jays, and uh, it, was, it was quite impressive. But he's not looking good right now. I do think it can improve. Hopefully it will improve, but uh, right now it's it's struggling. And I'm trying to find the number of games here for Bo. You're right, 10 games. So baseball reference was not up to date. So he's played 10 games. So four errors in 10 games. Still not where you want to be. Uh, doesn't make it any better that it was 10 games. But you know what? We've seen flashes of him being really good defensively. And other times he's just not looked great. I think as he gets more and more acclimated with the big leagues and playing on that bigger stage, and then the turf will be really interesting um, the, this weekend because I know I know that it's not a full turf infield anymore with the dirt cutouts, but you know there's still a lot of turf that you have to adjust to if you're Bobo Shets. That should be interesting to see this weekend. Um, as he gets more relaxed and more comfortable in, the big league, in a big league uniform, I think he will be better defensively. Moving on to more of a broader perspective on the young kids, Post-trade, post-trade deadline, a lot of the vets were gone. Guys that had been here a while, like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, were now not on the team. And while guys like Justin Smoke and Freddie Galvez stayed, they were looking for new leaders. And it seems that the rookies have filled those spots, especially Bo Bichette, actually. And it's led to wins. The Jays have won seven of their last ten, as you mentioned. And I know you're thrilled with the new leaders' emergence. So how big is it for the team that they stepped up? This is incredible. It's huge. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I'm not saying that Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez didn't have leadership qualities, but I feel as though, and especially seeing the last 10 games and, and winning seven of them, uh, you know, a 700 winning percentage in the last 10 games since those guys left is a big number and it's a big success. And Charlie Montoyo should be happy with it. The organization should be happy with it. Nobody expects the Blue Jays to play at a 700 clip. So let's put that caveat out there as well. We don't expect a 700 clip for the rest well, of the way. Or, or... <laughs> well, I'm sure it would sure be nice, but I just, you know, I mean, nobody expects that with this team. It's not quite there yet, obviously, uh, pitching especially. So, um, and even offense, it's not quite there. These kids will have a pullback a little bit here and there. We've seen Vladdy already have that a few times this season. So we can't expect that. But at the same time, you should be very happy with the success and the leadership that's happening. Uh, the Blue Jays posted a great video uh, yesterday of, of Vladdy dancing in the dugout. And, you know, that's something that I don't think we see with too many, with as many veterans as, as were originally here. Um because he just wouldn't have been comfortable to do something like that. I think with the uh, with the three uh, the three kids doing so well with uh, Bichette, Bijou, and, and Guerrero, uh, and even Guriel, um, you know, we're seeing them take over as leaders of the clubhouse. This is now their team. It where it was Marcus Stroman's team before. It is now the kids team and they have embraced it and they love it. And, uh, you know, some great, uh, Instagram posts from Vigio the other day as well, talking about the squad's, uh, road trip. And, you know, I just don't think he even says anything like that with those guys still in the clubhouse. So it's, it's a, a great thing to see a very big positive. The future is very bright for this team uh, if we just could get some pitching. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I've been very impressed with how they've taken on these leader roles, and it's become their team. They, they know that down the road, this is their ball club. They are in control of, of this team's destiny, and they, they understand that right now. And guys like Guriel, Biggio, uh, Guerrero, and Bichette, they have to step up, and they have stepped up so far since the trade deadline in those leadership roles, and it's been really good to see. You talk about the pitching. I saw an interesting stat the other day, and we always refer to a great starting rotation – uh, when we think of a great starting rotation, sorry, we think of the Houston Astros rotation, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke. How did they get Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke? All of it was via trade. So, you know what? The Jays don't have any good pitching prospects. Well, they have a few good pitching prospects in this system. I shouldn't say any. They don't have very many star pitching prospects in their system right now. But they can go out and they can make some trades. While you do, while you would have reason to be worried about going after a pitcher in uh, uh, via trade with Ross Atkins at the helm because he doesn't seem to get the greatest returns or deals done. Um, I think that maybe, just maybe, you can go out and you can trust him here that he will get pitching because the Astros, their rotation was was built via trade and there were there, Dallas Keuchel when he was there, he was a homegrown he was a homegrown guy and Lance McCullers who is injured right now is also from the system, but uh, their three main pieces, Zach Greinke, Garrett Cole, and Justin Berlander have all been acquired via trade. Yeah, and that's an interesting fact because when you look at homegrown and you look at really if there's a couple of superstar potential starters, that's probably Nate Pearson and Alec Manoa. And then you've probably got uh, maybe a couple of fringe guys that could take over for maybe a Manoa or a Pearson if something happens. But um, 
you're right. I think the rest of it comes from prospect capital that you already have in the system that's potentially in position spots and making trades and, um, and, and with those, with that prospect capital. So I, I think, it, you know, you're right. I, I think that that's an opportunity for the blue Jays. I think it's difficult for them uh, for a couple of reasons. A, um, you know, some of these superstar pitchers have no trade clauses and quite often Toronto appears on those. Uh, the other problem is Ross Atkins trying to get a trade done is like watching, you know, a train wreck because uh, he just, he gives up way too much for, for very, very little in return in comparison. So, um, you know, he, unless he gets better at that, I don't see him being the guy to acquire that type of pitching, but I think that, you know, there's opportunity there. And, you know, if, if, if they can acquire pitching, they will, they will be successful, but it's going to be about growing pitching too. Yeah, and I'm enjoying the classical music in the background that's playing right now. Isn't it? Uh, it's lovely. It's, it's phenomenal and far too loud. Um, <laughs> still, able that that. That still able to throw that in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ross Atkins has, doesn't have the greatest track record with trades. But, I mean, you look at the next wave of young guys, and, you, and they're all position players. They, they aren't pitchers. They've got, you got Nate Pearson, Alec Manoa. Manoa's still probably going to arrive in 2022. Pearson could come up next year, and he likely will come up at some point next year. But you've got guys like Kevin Smith in the system right now. He could be a great trade piece. He's got the potential to be a very good ball player. But he's blocked by guys like Bo Bichette, guys like Kevin Biggio, guys like Vladdy Guerrero Jr., because Kevin Smith can play at shortstop, second base, and third base. Those three positions are all blocked right now. So maybe you use one of the two billion shortstops in your system to trade for these guys. So is it possible that when, when Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins drafted all these guys and got all of these shortstops and middle infielders, is it possible that they had in the back of their minds that they might use these guys as, as trade bait if the first wave pans out? I think it's absolutely possible, but I think, you know, what, what my concern is, and I'm sure the Blue Jays fan base would echo some of this is we're not seeing returns in their trades that line up to what you're giving up. So we have to see an improvement there, uh, regardless of the fact that there's a ton of prospect capital at the shortstop position and other positions. Uh, you just have to really worry about this, this group's ability to get players back that actually provide value. Yeah, and I understand that, but we've never actually really seen Ross Atkins uh, in the role of the buyer at a trade deadline. We've mainly seen him as a seller uh, in 2017, 18, and 19, and obviously we did see him as a, as a buyer in 2016, and there weren't noticeable moves, but that was Ross Atkins' first year as general manager. I'm going to give him a pass on that one, but we've never really seen Ross as a buyer at the trade deadline because the Jays just haven't been good. So maybe when the Jays are good and we know that we need to address certain need, which will more than likely be starting pitching. Maybe we see Ross Atkins focus in on the one guy and get what we want back for, or, to, or what we want back because we need a starting pitcher down the road. Maybe when Ross Atkins finally has the opportunity to win, maybe we do see him make a big move. Yeah, and I think we're on the other side now. I think we're on the other side. I think at this point, uh, it's no longer a seller uh, position. And and I think you'll see them start to buy as soon as this offseason. 
Uh, I don't mean drastically buy, like overload the team and and go for it next year, but we're on the buying side now of this. This is the, instead of rebuild and tear it down, this is the building side of it now. It's now about filling in the pieces around the kids and and it's about acquiring pitching. So we're going to start to see where where Ross's skill set is on that buying side. But I do agree with you. He hasn't had the opportunity to buy yet. I think his final selling was done at this deadline and that the buying begins in the offseason. So we should see in very short time frame uh, whether he can do this. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think you're right. I think we're no longer in the rebuilding stage. We're in the building stage and you're going to start buying eventually. And I don't know if we'll see buying this offseason. Maybe we'll see a few little pieces here and there. Um, but I don't think we're going to see, like you mentioned, I don't think we're going to see big name free agents get offered huge contracts by Ross Atkins quite yet. But um, I don't know if they ever will. We'll have to see. We'll see how Ross Atkins fares when the team is really good and competing for a playoff spot and when they actually should be buying and when they should be offering up these big deals to players. And uh, we'll see how he fares then. And then we'll judge Ross Atkins' tenure as general manager of the Blue Jays. Moving on to an AL East rival. In recent weeks, it's become more clear the Boston Red Sox are struggling. The reigning World Series champs are 16 games out of first in the East and six games out of a wild card spot. The Red Sox stayed put at the deadline, only picking up Andrew Castro, who had an abysmal Sox debut. So is it realistic to say that they might not make the playoffs? Well, I think that's very realistic. I don't expect them to make it. Either. And uh, um, I, I think they're done. I, I mean, they, but they, the weird and craziest thing about that is that they did not acquire anybody at the trade deadline and tried to uh, say that they were fine the way they are. I don't think that they are. I think the World Series hangover for sure has affected them this year. Um, and uh, and I don't expect them to return to the playoff picture. Yeah, I don't think they will either. I don't think they're going to make it to the playoffs, not as a wild card team, and they're certainly not going to come back and miraculously win the division. I don't see a spot in that American League playoff picture for the Red Sox who are looking to come back after winning a World Series. I think it's going to be World Series and they miss the playoffs. And they're not as good as they were last year, and they stayed put at the deadline, but they should have acquired more pieces than Andrew Kashner, who, yeah, was okay for the Baltimore Orioles this year. He wasn't fantastic. The Red Sox knew how, how many struggles their starting pitches were going through and how bad it was for Rick Porcello, Chris Sale, and David Price. Obviously, they weren't horrific, but they weren't having the seasons they were last year. They weren't as good. It's as simple as that. And they should have gone and picked somebody up, picked more than Andrew Kashner up, because Andrew Kashner is not the type of pitcher that they needed. He's got a 468 ERA this season. That's combined between Boston and Baltimore. Um, in Baltimore, he had a four, or sorry, he had a yeah, he had a four two seventy RA. So he has obviously not been great. Um, so why why would you just pick up Andrew Kashner? I don't quite understand, especially with Dave Dombrowski. He's been known to on occasion make some big splashes. He stayed put at the deadline. He just added Andrew Kashner, and I think that's a big move, and it's going to cost them their postseason lives because they're not going to make it to the postseason. They're gonna, they're, they're it's going to cost them the postseason lives the postseason life that they're not going to end up having because they only acquired Andrew Kashner. And sorry, I want to correct myself that ERA is at 383, but that's not the type of pitcher they needed. That's what they were getting out of guys like David Price, Chris Sale, and Rick Porcello. They needed a guy who is like a Zach Greinke. They needed a guy like Zach Greinke. They needed a guy like Trevor Bauer, who were both on the market, but they didn't make plays for them. They instead went after Andrew Kashner, who isn't that great of an arm. He's not where he's not what they needed 
to contend this season, and I think that they're not going to make the playoffs. Yep, I agree. I don't think they are either, and uh, yeah, we'll have to see ultimately in the end, but I, I just I don't see a scenario where they can turn this around enough uh, to get to the playoffs. Yeah, for sure, and you know what? I don't know if they have any big names in the system, but with the waiver trade, trade deadline now gone, there's no other chance for them to pick up arms, like good arms. So I'm not aware of how good the Red Sox prospect pool is, um, how many good pitchers they have in there, because they seem to always have good position players, but I don't know how many good pitchers they've got down there. Um, hopefully for them, they have some good ones that they can maybe bring up that are big league ready. But right now, it's just not looking good for them. They stayed put at the, uh, at the deadline. And we're going to skip over the relevant zero segment for a second and move on to the Yankees' rotation struggles. Um, the leaders of the AL East... If it hasn't been against the Red Sox, and that rotation has really struggled, Jay Happ is pitching to an ERA above five, and Masahiro Tanaka, he's Sabathia, and James Paxson are all up above 440. The first two, Tanaka and Sabathia, above 475. And Domingo Herman has really been their best pitcher, but even he is up at 398, which is too close to four than you'd like out of your ace. They stayed put at the deadline like the Red Sox. They didn't acquire any, any big names, any big league names. They could be relying on Davey Garcia to come up, but he likely won't come up this season. So can this rotation really manage in a playoff series against offensive heavyweights like the Astros or Dodgers if they were to make it to the World Series? Because right now, yeah, that offense is phenomenal. They've got some crazy bats in there. But can they manage against other crazy bats with how brutal that rotation has been? Well, I think if there's any rotation that can do that, it's this one. They all have playoff experience. They all have, have experience stepping up when the time is right. I think you could definitely see that uh, from them again, and uh, it's, it's a concern. There's no question about that. I mean, the Yankees should be very concerned, but there's nothing you can do. There's trade opportunity uh, or waiver trade, sorry, um, and, and the non-waiver trade deadline, they did nothing. So um, it's, you know, they've got to go with what they've got, and they're going to have to trust in it, and they're going to have the fact that, you know, these guys do have playoff experience, and hopefully they can step up when the time is right. Yeah, I don't know if they can really rely on them stepping up when the time is right, because right now they've just been brutal. And guys like Jay Hapstein, he seems to be like he's – Passed well past his prime, and he had a good he had a good year last year. It was one of the Blue Jays' bigger trade pieces. Of course, we got quite the return back for him. But um, with the way he's pitching this year, that's about the return we deserve for him. So Hap is pitching to an area above five. Tanaka, Sabathia, Paxson, all up above four forty. There's no clear ace in that rotation. Luis Severino is down with an injury. I don't think that they can contend that they sorry, that they can compete with a with a with a lineup like the Astros lineup. Maybe even the Twins lineup, they have very good offense. And certainly, if they somehow do manage to make it to the World Series, the Dodgers. But the rotation is just simply not. We'd like to apologize. We are having some technical difficulties today. Um, We are trying to resolve them. And as I was saying uh, just before this, I cut out a little bit. They do have a phenomenal offense. But that starting pitching is just not good, and I contend or compete with any of the uh, offenses in the playoffs. So moving on to Relevant Zero, if you're a baseball fan, you've heard of Cut 4. This wonderful metropolis of crazy baseball stories is personally one of my favorite parts of the MLB. So is there anything really like it in pro sports? Sorry, say that again? 
Uh, cut four. Uh, if you're if you're a baseball fan, you've heard of Cut Four, the wonderful metropolis of crazy baseball stories. Of course, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the MLB. Is there anything really like Cut Four in pro sports? No, I don't. Because we had another cut out there. I hear you, but I did hear you. Cut Four is uh, is it's hilarious. There's a most recent goat message, <laughs> you know account because you know it gives you a good laugh it, it keeps the keeps the atmosphere light uh you know and uh, and it's definitely for that that younger fan that millennial fan and, and now gen z fan that's coming up and and you know baseball needs more of that but i, I don't think it's a terrible account and and they're doing the right thing it's just a matter of how do you expand on that yeah, for sure. And, and because right now, and it was leading to my next question, it's helping grow the game because they have such a strong social media presence in baseball. And they're, they're a funny account. It's appealing to, as you mentioned, the millennial fan, the Gen Z fan that, uh, that wants to learn more about sports and wants to see baseball, right? Because this is a social media account that loves to make memes and jokes and be funny, like with their jersey swaps where they make the most brutal jersey swaps you've ever seen. But they're just, they're such a wonderful social media presence. You love looking at their posts. You think it's a, it's hilarious. You, you learn more about baseball. If you're, if you're the average fan, right? It's just, it's great. They make, they find the best and most fun moments from the game and they post them on social media and, and make them somehow even more fun. So, you know what? Cut four is phenomenal for the MLB and they're, and I think that cut four is one of the reasons that the MLB will be growing in a few years. And that's a, that could be a bold prediction. The MLB is going to grow a little bit uh, with the fans when it comes to the fans, because I think more people are going to get into baseball if they continue on social media, like they are right now, because they're the only league that has games on YouTube and exclusively on YouTube, which have been quite a big hit. And people are going and like, Oh, there's a game on YouTube. I should go watch it. Right. So they're going to watch the games on YouTube and the MLB official accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they've been more active posting on their stories and stuff like that, being at every Sunday night baseball game, being at every uh, big game during the week, being at every YouTube game. They're there, and the social media presence in the MLB has been great, and I think that they're really stepping their game up to try and attract the younger fans. That's been really great to see. Um, Well, it's mid-August, sort of, and you know what that means. Time to predict the World Series. Not exactly. With a, month, with a month and just over half to play, there's still a lot to see. But right now, we are going to pick who we think will win the World Series. Far too early to be predicting this? Most definitely, but we're still going to anyway. I'd be disappointed if you didn't like this segment. So, who is your <laughs> way-too-early World Series pick? Uh, Houston Astros, without question. I mean, they went ahead and they, they supplemented really nicely at the deadline, and I don't know how you can't pick them as, a, as the World Series champion. Well, guess what? I'm picking the Dodgers because, you know what, I see that offense as a juggernaut, and you know what, a rotation of Hyunjin Ryu, who's got an ERA under two, uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's always phenomenal, and Walker Bueller. I think that they've got just as good of a 1-2-3 as the Astros do, and I hope that that's a World Series matchup. I know it's a 2017 repeat, and it's not good for ratings or whatever, but uh, that would be one great World Series pitching-wise, and even offensively, because those two offenses are going to tear each other apart. So I've, I've got the Dodgers winning the World Series, though, and I can understand where you're coming from, the Astros. Moving on to our final segment of the podcast, the Jays' offense. 
Um, the, the offense is going to be really good down the road. And even right now, there's more than a bit of pop in that lineup. Lourdes Goriel Jr. had a terrible road trip despite the home run yesterday. But there were other guys who were there to pick him up when he was struggling, who were providing that offense that he is normally providing. So how impressive has the Jays' offense been? Well, it's been very impressive. I mean, you know, the, the uh, I mean, it's funny because the pitching has been impressive too. And, and even a bullpen day yesterday was impressive. But, um, but the offense, I mean, how do you, how do you deny what they've been doing? So uh, it's, it's been the new kids for sure. I mean, they've done a lot to, to add to this offense, but there's really, I mean, you're seeing Gritchick, you're seeing fly ball face hit a home run. You're <laughs> seeing Gritchick. a lot of different, uh, you're seeing a lot of different things happen with this offense that hadn't been happening before. And so, you know, when you consider how the offense started with the season, uh, it is very, very exciting to see how they are, are hitting right now. Yeah, and what do you think has been the key for that? Because all of a sudden, in the last 10 games, we've seen that offense just get go, go crazy. Well, the key to it is a baseball bat. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> your input. Is, Always is on the podcast. Baseball bat. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I am an expert in the industry, and uh, I can tell you the key is swinging a baseball bat. But uh, the, uh, the other key is they're just they're patient. They're better. They're, they're selecting their pitches better than they have been all season. They're not swinging at the garbage in the zone that they had been. Vladdy's a perfect example of that. You know, he was, when he got too aggressive because he's trying to make a name for himself, which is understandable for a kid just called up, but uh, he was swinging at some uh, pitches out of the zone that he would not normally have swung at in lower levels. So, you know, I think you're seeing that uh, broadly across the, the lineup is that, you, you know, they're being more selective in what they do swing at, and, and it's, it's causing more hits to fall in. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, and I think the young kids have actually helped that quite a bit. I think Bo Bichette has, has been a real spark plug for that offense because he is aggressive. He goes after the first pitch. He's not afraid to do that, and he takes big swings all the time. He's always looking to hit a dinger, but at the same time, he stays controlled. He doesn't go after the pitches out of the zone as much. Because he knows what he wants to hit, and when he and when he sees that pitch, he's aggressive and he goes right after it. He goes swinging. Doesn't matter if it's the first pitch of the at bat. And I think the Jays were being too patient because oftentimes they'll give you a strike on the first pitch of the at bat, and the Jays would always take the first pitches just to see what the pitcher had. And that can be a bad thing at times, especially when you're facing a good arm. So you know what? I'm glad to see that Bobuchet has stepped up to the top of that lineup and been a spark plug for them. It's been really, really great to see so far. And they're averaging in their last 10 games, ever since Bobo has been called up, they're averaging 5.7 runs per game. And that's ridiculous because that's right up around six. So if you're getting six runs per game, your starters, your pitchers can allow three, and then you win every game. Obviously, it's not going to happen. You're going to have some bad pitching days. But when you can average six runs per game, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, like we say in the in other parts, points in this podcast today, you know, we don't expect them to play at a 700 clip. We also don't expect them to average six games, six runs a game. Obviously, that'd be nice if they did. But uh, but boy, are they showing some great signs of uh, what the future is going to look like. Yes, they most certainly are. So this has been episode 38 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker, and I was joined as usual by my dad, Chris. We are very thankful that you tuned into this episode, and we will see you all next week.